lost commandments I'm way too numb, yeah It's way too dumb, yeah I get those goosebumps every time I need the hype Throw that to the side, yo Hey guys, this is Amigopreneur and this is Jacqueline, your host. It has been a minute since I have done a solo podcast. And just so you know how you know you're nervous. So before I hit record, I went to the bathroom like three times. <laughs> I had to pee like three times, guys. Uh, in preparation for this, whenever I have any nerves, I always dance. I turn on music. This is why you heard music at the beginning. Um, I love hip-hop. I really do old-school hip-hop. I just, I, I really love it. And it's because it was my first love. It was my first therapy. It was it was a healing tool before I knew about healing tools. Um, if you're new to the podcast, I think this solo podcast um, is kind of going to catch you up or or let you know like more about me and why I started the podcast. I usually, my solo podcasts, I I script them, I kind of practice them, and then I put them out there. But what I realized is that I don't do a lot of solo podcasts. And that's because when I started the podcast in 2013, I really felt like I had no business like being on my own podcast. Because it was about women of color who were entrepreneurs and creatives, and I was not. I was recently laid off. I really didn't know what was next for me. And so I, you know, took that severance package and moved myself and my teenage daughter to Los Angeles in, in search of something. Um, I couldn't grow in my hometown. There were too many things that I was trying to run away from and I really couldn't get away from. I don't know if that makes sense. And I needed a challenge, something bigger. I had figured out my hometown by the time I would say uh, between the ages of 13 and 16, I felt like I had, you know, San Diego all figured out. Um, I was a very independent child. And I think that was probably due because I, I did grow up in trauma. Um, there was domestic violence in my family, and I've been on my own since I was 15. And I had, uh, you know, my daughter as a teenager, and then I became my a single mom in my early 20s. And I was always, I think, in survival mode. Um, and so I'm going to apologize ahead of time just to let you guys know that this podcast is going to be a little different. I'm going to to kind of let you know who I am, why I started the podcast, kind of give you an outline because this is kind of an update. I moved back just recently back to my hometown and I was you know, yeah, first of all, I guess I'll share with you why I'm sharing my journey and why I feel that I am worthy, we're all worthy of sharing our voice and our story, which is something I always talk about on the podcast and to my clients. But then I realized, you know, I don't share enough about me. And in one of my um, Instagram lives, somebody said, 
yeah, like do a solo podcast because yes, we know about you through like your interviews. We can kind of get bits and pieces of who you are, what you've been through. And then I've also had some interviews. Um, I've been interviewed for other podcasts and people had had to kind of go over there to learn more about me. And I follow amazing women of color who are podcasters. And I interviewed a woman, Linda from Let There Be Loose. And she had this thing talking about podcasting and that if we have a platform, we need to obviously be the voice of that platform. And with podcasting, I will tell you this, I have, I have healed, I have evolved, I have grown so much because I came from the corporate world where I blended in, I took on a job where I did for others, which is what I did when I was little. I was very much like, what, how can I transform myself to be whatever the other person needs them to be? So for me growing up, it's I was very much the good girl. I didn't want to cause trouble. I didn't want to get attention. There was just a lot going on in my home. And I wanted to be invisible. And if I was ever visible, I was to be visible in a way that didn't bother or irritate my parents. Um, and so, yeah, I think for many of us, we grew up in trauma. You're either like the black sheep, right? You're the, you're, I think you're like the courageous one who calls out people on their stuff. And that was definitely my sister. Um, she had a voice and she was going to use it and I admired her for it. Um, but, you know, that could also cause trouble for us. And for me, I just, I really just wanted not to cause trouble. And I'm sharing all that because when we grow up that way, trying to be the good girl, trying to be in the backdrop, not trying to get attention, it's hard for us to share our voice and to feel that our voice are worthy of even being listened to. We have become what others need us to be because we're in a situation where we're trying to survive. And then we grow up and we use those skills. We kind of become this chameleon and we're able to go into the workforce and kind of like be able to predict what others need because we're very good at reading people. We can become very good at reading people um, and we become like we're able to predict their their moods and what's next. You know, we're, we're very good um, working on our instincts. Um, and it's again, there are things that I know that I got when I grew up in that environment that served me very well, especially when I became a single mom that I was able to maneuver and move up the corporate world, mind you, with little, little education. And I had this belief because my mindset was bigger than my skill set. <laughs> Something I learned from a coach that no matter how great your skills are, if you don't believe in yourself, you're not going to be able to do it. And I had a lot more belief in myself um, than I had skills or education, especially in the corporate world, especially working with people that were highly educated. I'm talking about they had law degrees, science degrees, and I was in this environment, you know, this young girl from the hood, pretty much. <laughs> and they were very articulate. And I was able to maneuver myself in that space. I was able to move up. I was able to, you know, go to school because I worked for uh, an amazing firm who was who allowed me to go to school. 
Um, and again, I'm sharing all that because there were skills when I grew up that I developed, right, in my own way. But because of that, for a very long time, it fit, made me feel that someone else was always worthy more than I was and that I was to, you know, like a child to be looked at and not heard from, you know, and just try to be out of the way. And that affected me very much after my daughter headed off to college because I became with my parents wanted me to be and stay out of the way, right? I went to the corporate world and became a chameleon and kind of like uh, became a person of service in that. And I, you know, pretty much camouflaged what others needed to be. And then I became a single mom and I did what my daughter and, uh, and what we needed at the time. So she, she heads off to college and I have no one to care for. And I'm losing my identity. I don't know who I am. I'm thrown into this very, very deep depression because I, don't, I didn't know that I was having a breakdown. I didn't know that I had function in a very reactionary survival mode and that I was basically, like a friend said to me one, uh, a functioning depressant. And when my daughter headed off to college, I didn't have an excuse, sort of, quote unquote, an excuse to get up in the morning anymore. I didn't have a reason or a purpose or a passion for me to to go and do the things that I really didn't like. Um, but I did it because I needed to take care of my daughter. And my daughter was my family. She was my companion. And, and when she left, it was like, I didn't know who I was. I kind of lost my family and I lost my identity and I lost my purpose. And that threw me into a very deep depression. And that's why I'm so passionate about helping women in transition before they get to a point where I got, where I had isolated myself within my depression, because I think as people of color and um, we're, expect ourselves to get it together right ain't nobody got time for you to be depressed like get it together like and we do that to ourselves especially I think that's even like an immigrant um, mentality figure it out get it together you don't have time to be sad um, and you have all this buildup you know I had a lot of buildup uh, from trauma when I was little and I was suppressing, suppressing and on survival mode. And so when things got quiet and there was no distraction, no one distracting me from my demons, from what I had not faced. And we think in those moments of breakdown that, oh, you know, something, some miracle happened. But the truth is that that's when it is your best time and the worst time for you to discover and start to heal. And I'm not saying it's overnight. My daughter headed off to college. She's going on her fourth year. And I can finally say that I am starting to heal. I do believe it would have taken less time. And everybody has their own timeline. Had I had the tools, had I, number one, faced the pain, but it was too great. It was the pain of how I grew up 
It was the pain of my daughter being gone. It was the pain of feeling lost and my having my loss of identity. And so it was a lot. And I, within this time, I felt like I was drowning. I, I couldn't find a job. When I did, I couldn't keep a job. I didn't know that how depressed I was. I would get a job and I'd freak out that I probably was not going to be able to keep it because the things that kept me at a job and kind of kept me mentally, physically, you know, together, what I thought, right? Because I was still functioning depressant. I couldn't do it anymore. You know, there wasn't a mouth to feed. There wasn't anyone relying on me. And it started making me feel like I wasn't needed. I wasn't wanted. What is my purpose? Like, why am I even here? My job is done. I did what I set out to do. I raised my daughter the best way I could. And she was off and flying, living her life like I wanted her to. And while she was flying or learning to take flight on her own, I was crashing and I was burning and I, I couldn't seem to get up. And so within that, I, I remember that I prayed because shit got so dark, guys, like real dark. It was just too much. Um, so I prayed and I asked that, you know, to please take this away, you know, to take it away because it was just a lot and I didn't really know what was next for me. And, and it, from one second to the other, I remember I was laying on the floor, I was in the fetal position and I just prayed and it just, from one second to the next, it went away and I didn't feel anything like I, the, everything just went away. And I remember I got up and I'm like, okay, I have to try and get it, get it together. Like I need to go searching. And so when I say it was taken away, I was just saying like it was just removed for, for temporary. You know, I feel that spirit wanted me to have a moment of peace, to understand that I am a strong, courageous individual and that I'm highly, highly intelligent and that I was going to figure this out. And this was going to give me purpose and allow me to see myself. And, and connect back to myself, even if I didn't really know who I was anymore, the core of me was there. And that core little girl who knew how to survive and how to figure things out was going to figure out what was happening to me. And I was going to do what I always had done was take what was happening and make the best of it for me. But now continue to do what I had been doing, which is my love of of sharing people's journeys and so by that time i had launched the podcast this was before my daughter headed off to college i had taken a break because um i had to head back to work after my layoff and i really missed it and so within that i went searching and i found a couple of books and they spoke about transition and how what i was going through was normal that it was a very normal thing that that me losing my identity, having identity loss, all of that was very normal. There was nothing 
out of the ordinary and that this was actually even a very tribal thing. It was us going against, you know, our darkest time and, and as warriors, like going through this and figuring this out and to find within ourselves that we are more than our identity and our title and someone's parent, you know, that there is a bigger meaning for us to being here. And that within that, there are these people, these guys, these spirits, these angels that show up for you to let you know that you're not alone. Um, and so these books showed up and I prayed. And whenever I had a question, I was just like, uh, you know, I would ask a question and a video would show up to answer that question or a podcast or a person and a conversation. You know, something would show up to show me that I was not alone in this, even if I was in a sense doing this by myself. Within that time, like I said, it didn't happen overnight. What I know now, when I was losing jobs and I couldn't hold jobs because literally I would look at the screen and I couldn't concentrate because I was going through a depression. I couldn't look at, like I literally couldn't send out an email because I couldn't look at the screen. It looked all blurry because I was in a state of panic that I was going to lose my job and I couldn't keep it. And I remember that I was in such stress that one time I got up and I thought I was going to faint and black out because I was so stressed out. And I mean, I won't go into detail all of the things that happened, but I lost apartments. Um, I lost my car. I lost a lot. I was staying at Airbnbs and I kept asking myself, what the fuck is going on? Why does this continue to happen? I I get a job and then I, 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 I'm good with money and then I'm able to save and everything's okay. But then I lose the job because I hate being there because there's these, you know, politics and there's microaggression and I don't have my filter, <laughs> my daughter anymore, and I'm depressed, and I, all of these things are happening, and and I will say this that I that I was at this time seeking group therapy. I was going to therapy, um, and I started taking ownership of what was happening to me. But my mistake that I always make, and that I have always made, um, that I didn't know that I was little is that I always want to rush the healing. There were things that happened with my parents that were very traumatic. And I always remember being little and, and trying to get over it. And I wanted, like, I don't know if I heard someone use the, to, the term, time heals all wounds. <laughs> because I wanted, I remember one, like, very traumatic thing happened. Um, it was me and my sister in the car and my parents got really violent and we were little. I mean, we were really little. And I remember after that, that I wanted weeks and months to go by. I wanted to be over. I wanted it to be like five months from now because I really thought the more time that passed, that that really, that time heals and that is such a lie. You know, time heals when you face what has happened in that time. And when you face it and when you allow yourself to go through with it and heal, 
then time doesn't even exist. It can be like snap and you've healed that. You don't need it to be months. Um, but of course, when I was little, I, I really believed that or I made myself believe that. And what I was really doing was suppressing it, ignoring it, you know, numbing it. Um, but I didn't know that, obviously. And I tried to do that with my daughter being gone because, God, I missed her so much. <laughs> and it was it was hard. And of course, even now when I talk about it, I get emotional, you know, but um, because she was or is one of our, you know, one of my greatest loves. Um, I really learned how to unconditionally love someone and she was my greatest teacher she was my little buddy um so of course it was hard and i'm getting emotional because it's more not for my daughter but because i didn't give myself um the time to grieve and to acknowledge how hard it was i was I wanted me to be strong and to get over it and move on. And I was, I was like, she's, you know, you're a parent. This is supposed to happen. Like, move on. But like, it's hard for everyone, not just for me as a single mom. Like, being a parent, and I would say as a mother, right, can't speak for dads. But like, you carry your baby and you birth this baby and then you feed this baby, you know, and she's always with you and and then they're gone and I don't think people really talk about that like when they leave it is it is difficult and even if it's normal um it is difficult that's why it's important for us not to lose ourselves within relationships you know even with a boyfriend a husband and even with our children um, but if you're like me and you grew up and you were constantly, you know, about other people and you weren't trying to face your stuff, then, you know, this is what happens. Um, and so I say that and I share all that because I am very passionate about that, about sharing, um, this journey because I don't think as women, as women of color, as immigrants, we really hear these stories. And when we do, it's very much we're ashamed and we're embarrassed and we feel weak. Um, and I don't want that. I want to share my journey because I saw how important it was when I shared my forgiving my father podcast. Um you know, I've always been dismissing my voice. Like, who's really going to care? Like, it's one story. Like, nobody really wants to hear that. And I forget that it's not really about me. That it that all of the people that I've listened to and the books that I've read, like, thank God they shared their journey. And thank God they didn't dismiss themselves or, or make themselves small or think that nobody was going to care because I cared. And their books... They're writing, they're sharing their podcasts, their videos, everything like makes such a difference. And, you know, why wasn't mine going to make a difference for someone else? Because it is bigger than me, you know, 
people everywhere are going through something and we never know what they're going through. And if my like one story or contribution causes a ripple, right? For someone to say, oh my God, like that makes sense. Or, you know, the messages that I got from people were really beautiful. How, you know, it touched them and they sat in their car and cried with me and how they would like, you know, wish to have that conversation with their dad and how they're hoping to. I mean, that podcast was even like bigger than the podcast because I remember having conversations with family, with friends, and it being healing for them. And even strangers. Like I had a lot of conversations with men about their fathers and having that conversation and giving them like another look into what that conversation could possibly be. Um, So that's why it's important for us to share our story. And that's why your story is not small and nobody wants to hear it. No, people need to hear it. And we need to share our journey, especially our journey about healing. Because it's important not only for us, for the next generation, for, you know, the generation before us. It's important because there's a stranger out there who doesn't feel seen, who is scared and thinks that they're the only one going through this and they feel alone. And they need, they need to hear that they're not alone. And they need to hear that there is another side to this. And so that's why I'm sharing my story and that's why I'm as open and as vulnerable as I can be. Um, And of course, I still maintain my privacy and I always tell my clients, like, you decide the level of openness and vulnerability that you want to have, but you must first build it with yourself. And what I mean by that is within everything that was happening to me, when I was going through therapy, um, I was also at home doing the work on my own. I didn't rely on my therapist to solve my problems, to tell me what was wrong and to tell me about me. I took a lot of different practices. I did um, meditation. I do tapping, which is EFT which I will link in the bottom so you can learn about it. And I've had it on my Awkward Goddess series where I talk about tapping. And that has helped me so much to heal a lot of the trauma. And I have used visualization to go back to the scariest moments in my life, to visualize them, and to go back as an adult and to, you know, quote unquote, rescue myself. And that has been very healing, uh, very painful at times. And so I would say that the biggest update um, for me is now going through the seven years that I lived in Los Angeles. And in particular, I would say the last three years was a lot of breakthroughs for me. And there was a lot of healing within that. And it was a lot of me getting up and journaling and really acknowledging my pain Anything that triggered me, I would write it down and I would talk to spirit within those, in that writing, 
you know, why is this happening? Where is this coming from? Why am I feeling like this? Why is this coming up? Why did that trigger me? Why did this person say this one thing and it just spiraled me into something? And I had so many breakthrough guys that it was fucking exhausting. I remember telling my therapist, like, I cannot have one more breakthrough. Because it'd be like ugly cry, like boogers. And it was just, it was a lot. <laughs> Within a span of few months. It was, it was a lot. And like I said, I was nervous before recording this. Because I'm not even too sure how much I will share. And how much I will open up. Because I'm still like going through it. But I will tell you this, like. I'm going on my third month of being in San Diego and it has been the happiest time of my entire life and the happiest, most healing time of my life. And I understand now why things happen the way they do. Spirit asked me, told me six months ago to go home. It's time to go home now. It's time to go home now. And I was like, nope, I don't, I don't have a home. I don't have a family. I don't have anywhere to go. And I kept getting the calling. It's time to go home now. It's time to go home now. And I was like, nope, there's no one there. I don't have a family. No one's going to help me. I'm on my own. And that was my 15-year-old talking. That was the 15-year-old runaway that left and told herself the story of, Nobody wants her. Nobody cares for her. Nobody's here to rescue her. All this shit is going on in my house. And nobody gives a fuck. Nobody's coming for me. So I'm going to figure this shit out on my own. And I did. I devised a plan at 15. I was going to run away because I was not putting up with this shit anymore. And I was going to stay at friend's house. So my dad wouldn't find me. And then I was going to go to a group home. And I was going to get emancipated and I was going to, you know, fix my papers, get my immigration papers. And then I was going to live my life. And I did that. I don't know where the heck that plan came from, but I did it. And ever since then, when I saw that I set a goal, I devised a plan and I did it. I did it. But I ran into stories like I'm on rescue mode. Nobody's going to help me. I'm on my own. Nobody cares about me, which was a lie. There was a lot of people that cared about me. There was a counselor who believed me when I told him what was going on in my house. And he didn't feel sorry for me. He had empathy. And he said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And this is what we're going to do. And I'm going to find a good group home because there's a lot of them and they're really dangerous. And I don't want you to end up in one where you could be assaulted because that happens in group homes. People get you know, physically, they, you know, just a lot of bad things happen in group homes. Um, because, you know, a lot of the kids, they're not well. They come from these houses who are, who are very violent, have been sexually assaulted. And he wanted to make sure that I was going to go into a group home that was like a home. And he really looked out for me. And This is why it was going to be hard for me to do this. Um, and so I'm really grateful to him. One, because he believed me. One, because he took my word. And two, because he kept his word. And another thing is because he was a man. 
Um, at that time, it was hard for me to trust men, right? Being that the upbringing that I had. But he was a stand-up guy. He was a Latino. He was highly educated. And yet he was so relatable. Um, so he did. He kept his word and he found me an amazing group home to go to. And in the group home, I met amazing, amazing counselors, um, women that looked like me, you know, brown women who were going to college, educated, activists, one was an artist, even the ones that grew up middle class, they were relatable because they had had, you know, a form of trauma in their lives and they wanted to come and help other, um, especially kids in the neighborhood, because they knew that not a lot of people were really going back to the neighborhood and like really helping kids and they wanted to do that and I was in awe because I had never been around women like that um that were strong um beautiful you know creative outgoing and giving back to the community and so I got to see amazing women I, I got to learn about Frida Kahlo and just all these amazing women through them who were activists, who were giving back to the community, who were business women, you know, just creatives and all this stuff. And and I was so grateful to that. And yet I was still telling myself the story that nobody cared about me. And let me tell you, when I was at the group home, oh my God, did I give those people hell. And that's where I realized that, that it's bullshit. You know, here are these people who are not my family and who put up with all my shit. Because I was an asshole. <laughs> At that point, you know, you're a teenager. You're already angry for no reason. Um, but, I, you know, I have on top of that, you, you've been going through some stuff. And, you know, it's, it's even worse. And they were always patient. They were kind. They were loving. Um, they always told us how special we were. And they always called us on our stuff when we acted out. Um, and there was always, they they gave me predictability. I always knew who was going to be at the group home. Um, I always, like, they had a, a, a thing on the board that said, this is what we're doing Sunday, Monday. These are the activities. And I just craved that. I craved, as many kids do that aren't in... Um, I grew up in violence, you know, things are very unpredictable. And I think all kids crave predictability, right? But especially those that grew up in trauma and being in the group home, like they really created an environment of safety, of love, of predictability and built a foundation. And so after I left there, that felt like home to me and they felt like parents to me. And so after I, I left that, I felt like my foundation was taken again. So I was lost for a while. Um, um, I got together with someone. I had a, a beautiful daughter. And then I was on my own again. Um, the relationship didn't work out. And then it was just me and my daughter for a very long time. So she became my foundation again. And I'm able to articulate all of this stuff because I have been doing the work to try to understand where did the breakdown happen? How did I view things for a long time? And what was the story that I was telling myself about myself to myself, <laughs> right? I think someone someone said that in a book or a poem or something. And, and I was telling myself that I was unworthy, 
that I wasn't wanted and that I only had, I had no purpose. And when I did have a purpose, that purpose was outside of myself, was to make others happy and to give others what they wanted because I wasn't as important. Realizing where all of these stories come from is very painful. Realizing that when I left the group home, that the group home had become a home, a foundation, and that I felt like I had finally had, you know, parent, parent figures. And to leave that was very, again, very hurtful, very traumatizing because I was leaving predictability and love and stability again to go into chaos again. Um, and that was very, very difficult. And I understood that I craved that foundation, that structure because of my upbringing, because I couldn't trust the adults around me at the time, because nobody was doing the right thing and nobody was coming and I was waiting to be rescued. <laughs> I was waiting for someone to rescue me. And when no one did and I had to rescue myself, I kept telling myself that I was the only one that could be there for myself. And that's not true. But yet I still continued that pattern because it was predictable to me. And after I left the group home, I told myself that because it was survival mode. It was survival mode that I got into again. And so you see, we're all trying to figure it out. We're all, you know, put on this path and sometimes things happen and, you know, we don't, we don't understand why. We don't understand why we react a certain way, but if we would just really take the time to, to love ourselves enough to become the master of ourselves and to ask ourselves constantly questioning. Like the answer isn't in the answer, it's in the question. At least it has been for me. And so after my daughter left, I couldn't, I could no longer abandon myself. There was a reason that my daughter left. There was a reason that I kept losing apartments. There was a reason that I was up to a point of getting evicted. There was a reason why all these people showed up for me. And that was to reaffirm that I am never alone. And that yes, I can rescue myself, but there are always people there to help me. If I would just ask for help or if I would just allow myself to be helped or to understand that I am worthy enough of receiving everything that I want and that I am lovable and that I am wanted, even if that's just for me. And I realized that I was being maneuvered. I wasn't being pushed down. I wasn't being abandoned. Things weren't happening to me. I was making these things happen because I kept telling myself I was unworthy of a home. So I kept losing my home. That the only reason I should have a home is because I have a child to take care of. Like, I am not worthy enough of having a home. Is that fucked up? So ask yourself, what are you telling yourself that is creating the life that you have right now? That you may have not even asked yourself. That maybe you're telling yourself, why does this keep happening to me? It's because of you. It's because of you that this keeps happening to you. I don't know if that's going to sound harsh to people. But that's the reality of it. When we're little, we can't help the things that happen to us. You know, and we become these brave, courageous souls and we're figuring that out. Right? Because we're being raised by these grown children that didn't ask themselves those questions or because they didn't get what I got. See, I got a miracle. I got a group home. I got a counselor. 
I got all these guides and wonderful and beautiful human beings who wanted to give back to others. Sometimes people don't get that. That's why you see people who are really, really lost sometimes. But we first have to help ourselves, right? Because we're getting these guides that come to us that help us. But we have to know that we're worthy enough and we have to stop telling ourselves these old stories. That we're unworthy. That we don't matter. That other people matter more. That other people are gifted. That they're special. And that we're not. Because that's not true. And it's because of that that I was being maneuvered and taking these things away because I was ready to come home. You see, I was functioning at the level of 15 for a long time, which is why I kept losing all my apartments, which is why I was returning because I needed to heal that. I needed to heal that 15-year-old and I needed her to understand that she's not alone, that she can rely on herself and that she can rely on others and that she can trust herself to trust others and so stop making other people's reactions or responses about her. You know, whether people showed up or not, you know, it had nothing to do with her. I needed to learn how to trust myself. And I don't think for a very long time I trusted myself. I didn't trust the universe. I didn't trust spirit because I was mad at spirit because why didn't he, why did he let this happen? He, she. <laughs> Why did spirit let me, you know, let this happen? Why did he let my parents be the way they were? Why didn't he show up? Why didn't he show up when I was hungry? Why didn't he show up when I was, when, when things were really violent? Why, why didn't he show up when things were happening to me? I was very angry. So I didn't trust me. I didn't trust the people around me. I didn't trust spirit. I didn't trust anybody. And it's hard living in a world when you can't trust anything, especially when you can't trust yourself. You draw a world where things are constantly unstable and you're constantly having to survive them. And shit is exhausting. And so I went in and I spent a lot of time by myself. I would say about probably close to two years, probably particularly a year of like isolation. Um, I worked from home after I had, I couldn't keep a job. And so I started freelancing. I really wasn't around other people. I really didn't talk to anybody unless it was like online or maybe with clients and some, I didn't particularly, obviously I was losing apartments, so I didn't have <laughs> a lot of clients. Um, and I kind of isolated myself for a very long time. It was just me. And within that isolation, which is very dangerous, by the way, very dangerous because you have a lot of time to think. And the mind takes over. And I understand why, I started to understand why people go crazy. You know, why why there are these people out on the street. And in particular, living in LA, I've been in Skid Row and I've seen people disconnected. 
and I see them and I had a lot of compassion for them because I was no different from them. You know, like I was no different from them that I just had the privilege that people had compassion when I couldn't pay the rent. You know, months went by and I didn't pay the rent. And, you know, there were people that I had compassion, but then, of course, I had to leave. But I looked at them and I said, you know, I'm only like missing one more payment away from being on the street. And I looked at them and I said, you know, we should never think that we're better than anyone. Because for a lot of us, how far away are you from that, from losing everything? And not because you don't have the means or the intelligence or any of that, but because mentally and emotionally, you are avoiding your demons. You're working a lot. You're maybe getting accolades. You may be hiding behind money, looks. Or even doing good deeds. There are a lot of people that go and help others a lot because they're trying to heal something in themselves, outside of themselves, trying to help other people heal. But I think I'm getting off topic now. (laughs) So yeah, so back to... And I apologize if this is kind of like rambling. I kind of wanted to give an update and kind of... I, I didn't script this. I usually do. I kind of wanted just to be a vessel today for whatever needs to come, you know, needs to be said for me, for you, if you're in in a place where you're feeling a little lost. And also to give an update of kind of where I was and how far I've come. So like I said, Spirit asked me to come home six months ago. I didn't. And I finally got into a point where I called my aunt. An aunt who has always been, like, she's like the aunt. Like, you can tell her, you know, anything. She's, like, so non-judgmental. I mean, you can be like, yeah, I started smoking crack. She's, like, be like, well, how's that going? Maybe you should, like, (laughs) like, you can tell this woman anything. There's, like, no judgment. And she'll even, like, throw in a joke here and there or something. Like, she's just very, she loves you with correction. Like, you know, never judgment or anything, which I love about her, that I know that I can tell her things and she's just like not judgmental. So I called her and and she's probably the only person I told what was going on. And I broke down. And she's like, what are you doing? Why are you putting yourself through this when you have family? And I was like, I don't really feel like that. And she's like, I don't understand why you feel like that. Because you do. She's like, why don't you come to San Diego? You know, I I had, after I had talked to her, because I talked to her, um, I talked to her one time before and kind of was just like, hey, how you doing? You know, like checking in on her. And then the second time I talked to her, I kind of like broke down And she had suggested, like, the first time, like, oh, like, you know, things aren't going great. Maybe you should, like, look for, like, jobs out here, too. And I was like, no, you know, find something. And so, yeah, I, like, started applying in San Diego. And so the time when I spoke to her and wrote down, she was just like, just look. Look for a job. You can, like, come out here and just, like, you know, go to the interview and we'll see what happens. 
you know, but like, just try and just know that you have family out here. And I was like, okay. And so I had a conversation with spirit and I said, you know, spirit, if I am meant to go to San Diego, then make it easy. I'm talking about let it flow because up to this point, everything was a fucking struggle. I couldn't find a job. I was looking, I was interviewing, I couldn't find a client. Like it was bad. And I said, if I meant to go home, make it easy. So after that, there was an interview in San Diego. My aunt said, great, come to the interview. She tricked me. (laughs) I came to San Diego. I didn't even think. I was like, okay, I'll stay three days with her. I'll go to the interview. And if it works out, you know, then I'm meant to be in San Diego. So I come, she picks me up. She's, you know, very loving, very sweet joking with me and like like I said she's very non-judgmental and so she's joking with me and she's you know feels like family and she's like stay with us and this and that and so I go to the interview and she's just like why don't you just stay with us you know why don't you just stay here wait till you hear back what are you doing just come stay with us and I was like okay I'll give it a few more days and so the you know Fast forward, the interview didn't call. And she's like, just go get your stuff. You're staying at an Airbnb. Like, just come down here. Look, if keep applying to LA, San Diego. Just, you know, like, just stay with us. Stop, you know, right now you don't have a, a job down, settled. Just come and stay with us. And everyone in the family pulled together. And when I said I was humbled, so humbled when I came here. My family, you know, put money together for me. My uncle was like, you can borrow the car, you know, taking care. Everybody was taking care of me and I was just not used to that. Like it was really like weird, but at the same time I needed it. It was good for me. And he like filled up the the car and the truck, like had cars available to me. Like, you know, your cousin is going to go with you. He's going to help you move, like go get your stuff. And I was just like, everything flowed. And then when I was here, I was like, I, you know, I had applied, nothing was happening. And then I was like, you know, I'm just going to start asking people if they're hiring. I don't even care. I'll be a target. I'm going to start asking. Like, this is getting ridiculous. (laughs) And lo and behold, like, I go to this restaurant and I ask the girl, hey, are you guys hiring? She's like, yeah, we need a hostess and just come back on Thursday. And so I'm like, hey, at this point, I'm like, listen, I don't need to be prideful. This job doesn't need to look this. And I have this education I need to give. I need to bring some money in. You know, I'm staying with family and I show up on Tuesday and the woman hires me on the spot. And I was like, oh, okay. And it felt good. You know, I got a job and I've been hostessing and can I, it's just been the best job I've ever had. The people at this scene, like everyone's like a family. People really enjoy being there. It's just such a good environment. Everyone helps out. Like the owner is not, you know, he'll clean tables or whoever the manager is at the time. And it just gives me a place to go. And it really, the people there are so family oriented. Like everyone is just helping each other. It's a very different environment in the corporate world. And I just, 
I don't know. They just feel like family and I've really enjoyed working there. And so that's been part time. And then I was over here, you know, at the shopping center and I walked into this gym and I was like, I'm just going to ask them if they're looking. And I go into this gym and I go, hey, are you guys hiring? They're like, we're hiring for the kids club. Because I was thinking I can work in front of a gym. I mean, I like being at the gym. Like, why not? And I'm like, oh, kids club. Well, I, you know, and I and I was just like, okay. And again, the same thing. I went in for an interview. The guy talked to me for five minutes and then he hired me on the spot. And working with kids like has been absolutely healing. Like children are so in the moment and they're just so precious. They're so funny. They all have like different personalities. I'm working with kids from six months to I think the oldest one has been nine. And like today I was surrounded with a little, I think she's like nine months old and a couple of four-year-olds and a five-year-old. And they brought in, this woman brought in twins. Um, One of them was autistic. And so I had all these kids around me and I was in heaven. Like I was able to watch them all. And even um, the little boy who was autistic, like, he was, his mom was like, he's like really fuzzy and he wasn't fuzzy. I'm like, no, he was great. Like all of the kids were in flow. Like I enjoyed each and every one of them. And I have really been enjoying being around kids because I haven't been around little kids for a long time. Of course, there are my favorites. There's these two little kids that I just like love. There's this little girl. She's too super smart. And then there's a little boy who's just like, oh, he's such a light. And what little kids teach you is to be in the present moment. Like when I'm with them, I don't think about anything. I mean, I get on the floor with them. We play blocks. And when they say, you know, that whole play therapy, it's so true. And they just love you and their face light up every time they see you. And they're just like, there's just, there's such a light. And it's been so healing for me being around them. And then at night, you know, I'll go and do the hostessing gig. And again, people feel like family, you know, like we're joking. So I get, you know, my inner child gets fed and then my adult (laughs) part of me and my community part of me that I needed being in isolation kind of for like a year, not really being around people. It feels really good to be around kids, to be around, you know, beautiful children who are just such a light, so innocent, so just like very accepting, like hearing them laugh, all of that. And then going to another place where it's family oriented. And I've been just getting so many signs that everything's okay. And my family, it's been challenging and not because of them, but because of me. And I will kind of give this update about how I know that I was supposed to come home because it was time to start healing that part of me. So I come home and, you know, once again, I'm, I'm find myself getting triggered. So my cousin um, puts Mexican music on. And I had just like a week here or something. And instantly, I'm like, I I see myself getting like worked up. 
um, it's a type of Mexican, like it's, it's, it's called banda and it's like really loud and, and I notice how well I have controlled my environment and I have gotten away from my family in that kind of environment because there was things that triggered me. And so when he turned that music on and he's singing to it, I remember I was in my cousin's room and I got triggered. Like I was doing some work in her room and I was like, like I was breathing hard and I was like, what is happening? I was like, and I had to talk myself down. Like I had to tell myself, listen, you're okay. The family that you have now is not the same family that they were when you were little. So the reason I got triggered with the music was because whenever that music came on, it means that drinking would ensue and then violence would follow. It was on point every time. The music would be turned on blasting, people would start drinking, and then things would get violent. And when he turned the music on, although, you know, my my aunt has, you know, it, she has a beautiful family, like, Nothing like that. No drinking. Nothing like that goes and, you know, happens. And I just, I had to, like, tell myself, you're okay. Everything's fine. You know, it's your cousin. He enjoys that music. Like, this is their home. They can put whatever music they want. And, you know, like, you're okay. And I was. And now when they put it on, I'm like, Okay, it's just music. Everything is fine. The music doesn't mean that this is going to happen or that's going to happen. You know? And and so it's been a progression. It's also been a progression because I was on my own for so long. I didn't have people around me. And I'm the kind of person that I, I don't know if I'm going to say the word right. An amber bird? I don't know. It's a word for someone who is both introverted um, and extroverted. So I need alone time and I also need social interaction, right? And when the two mix, when I need time to like rejuvenate, recuperate, like kind of just be on my own and there's people around, I get really sensitive and I get very agitated. Like I don't want people around me and I can't help that when I'm staying with people, right? I I can't help that when I'm staying with family and there's teenagers um, and there's, a lot of, you know, they have guests and all that. And I, it was a lot. And I had to learn to, something a mentor had said to me was that I want to control everything, right? And I know that part. Um, I want everything to be exactly predictable. And I have put that environment around me. I want certain things to go this way. And this needs to be like this. And no one can be around me like this. And it has to be like this and this. And, and and because of that, when things aren't the way I want them to be, like I'm like a little five-year-old throwing a tantrum. And of course, as an adult, I can't do that. And I'm, I'm staying in someone else's home and I'm grateful for that. Um, so I'm, I'm having like all this anxiety and like frustration and like, and I'm having to like, tell myself to calm down. And I'm reminding myself how grateful I am to be around family when I haven't been around family, and how they've been so gracious to offer me their home, and to love on me. And you know, my aunt is has gone, I have a gluten allergy, and she has gone through the store to get me stuff. And my cat, my cousins, you know, lend me their car or like, whenever I need to do something, they're like, super helpful. 
I've had to face a lot of things on me about my mentor had said to me, when you become comfortable with being uncomfortable, you will become unstoppable. And she is so true. And I have written that down over and over because I have tried to control my environment by staying as far away from my family or from people that reminded me of that environment and creating this nice little bubble um, around myself so that no one can, can come in. But what I've really done is create a wall. Create a wall and, and put myself in a state where if things aren't going my way, I'm, con- you know, I'm, I'm thrown into anxiety, frustration, anger, victimhood. Why is this happening? You know, that kind of thing, because I'm trying to control everything because, you know, I grew up a certain way. And so my environment needs to be perfect and the way I like it, at least in my space. And life doesn't work that way. And that's how I knew that I was supposed to come back home to let go of old stories, of old habits, um, of all the bullshit I've been carrying around. And it was time for me to be uncomfortable and learn how to be comfortable in that. And and that's why I have come home. Um, to see my family in a new light and to accept my family that they've, they are not the same people they were. But to actually see it. I, I knew that we weren't in the same place, but to actually see it and be under the roof. Of, of under that roof um, to really see it and of course to deal with the triggers to, to deal with the uncomfortableness um, I'm seeing the time <laughs> it is now um, an hour into this and um, I, I will finish it off with the story and, and me knowing oh man how beautiful and how like we're always being guided and how when you just allow like spirit and and when you just listen and when you let things flow how beautiful and peaceful I mean I'm working as a hostess and I'm working with children and I'm also I'm still bringing in clients and I'm not like trying to bring in clients like the clients are just coming in so I will leave you with this story of how I know that doing the work is really is really starting to work. So my dad and I have been meeting up and we have like these father-daughters like dates, right? Like we'll we'll go and have like brunch and breakfast, right? And he's been very good at respecting my boundaries. You know, he'll kind of throw it out there, do you want to go eat? And I'll be like, no or yes. So, you know, I'm working on accepting my father as he is now, being respectful, responsive to the relationship and not reacting. And I had a conversation with my girlfriend, Gigi, about how sometimes we have to like stop dealing with people as the old version of them when they are doing the work, right, and not allowing them to trigger something in us because we're still in the response of who of the past version of them right and that's something that I'm working on when it comes when it comes to my dad if we are to build this new relationship if we have you know had that conversation of forgiveness and we're in this space right what does this look like 
And for me and my dad, what it looks like is that we're getting to know each other. I'm getting to know who he is and I'm getting to accept him 100 that he doesn't need to be or do or any certain way. Of course, for our relationship, obviously, we both need to be right, expanding, right, evolving. Um, but he doesn't need to be what I need him to be or act the certain way or believe what I need him to believe or nothing like that. Like I'm accepting him 100 and we are evolving this relationship like any other relationship. We have our boundaries. Um, we're respecting each other and we're learning how to communicate um, those boundaries and to have conversations about, you know, like what bothers me or what I'm OK with talking about and not OK talking about. And he's been doing, you know, well. And I feel like whenever he says something, I'm like, don't react, like respond, take a breath. Did he mean it that way? You know, and even that's been really good for me. I, I know that it's been, you know, I hope that it's been good for him. Um, anyways, I say all that because, you know, like I said, we go on these, you know, father daughter days, like we're starting a relationship. So he picks me, he tells me, hey, I'm going to, how about this Sunday at 12? I said, perfect, we'll do that. I have time not working. So he picks me up. And um, when he picks me up, you know, I get in the car and he's like, okay, well, we're going to your grandma's and he's like driving. And I'm like, oh, you didn't tell me that. And he goes, oh, I thought, you know, like we can go eat and then go see your grandma because she's here and you haven't seen her and I haven't seen her. So I thought it'd be a good and I'm like, oh, you didn't tell me that. And the reason I said that was because I was going to be around other family. And he was driving me. And all of a sudden, I start, like, freaking out. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be around family. And I can't leave. He's driving us. I can't get away. Like, even right now, like, I'm like, <laughs> my hands are like, I'm pressing my hands. I was freaking out because I started to feel trapped. I I don't, you know, I haven't been around them. Like, I you should have told me. And, you know, and, and then I calmed down. I didn't say anything to him because he's like, what is happening? <laughs> he doesn't know, right? And so I had to first, like, have a session with myself. Like, hey, what's going on? Why are you freaking out? What is happening? And I was freaking out. Because the little girl inside of me felt trapped. Exactly like I felt when I was little. Like I could not get away if I wanted to. Like my dad had all the power and I was trapped and I was just going to have to sit in it and be uncomfortable. And what I realized after this happened was that when I was little, me and my sister, we were in the back of a car and I. I don't, I must have been like five or six. I, we were, I was little. And my parents got violent in the car. And I remember that I froze and I couldn't get out of the car. We couldn't go anywhere. And in that moment with my dad in the car, I was like, oh my God, I cannot get away. Oh my God, I'm trapped. How long, what's going to happen? Like, he should have told me because I need to prepare for this. Like, I need to have a session. Like, I need to say some shit. Like, I need, <laughs> I need to have a prayer. I need to decide if I want to go. Like, you know, all this stuff. And I was kind of mad because he didn't tell me. Like, 
what the heck? Like he needs to, like, how would he know that? Right. I haven't communicated that with him and I'm not communicating with him now. I'm not even communicating with myself. I don't even know what's happening with me. So I wanted to get angry, but I thought if I get angry, I'm not going to figure out what's going on. So we're in the car, we're driving. My my aunt and uncle and my grandma, you know, they my grandma's staying with my aunt and uncle. They they live kind of far. So I'm in the car and I'm like, okay, first of all, number one, you're a grown ass woman. If you don't want to go somewhere, you can tell him. He is not the same man he was when you were little and you are not 5, 10, 13, you know, you're a grown ass woman. You can tell him, hey, I don't want to go. And you don't have to worry about being rude. You don't have to worry about none of that shit. Like if you don't want to go, you should say so. And you're not trapped. If you go to the house, you can leave whenever you want. You can take an Uber. And if there wasn't an Uber, you can take a bus. And if you can't do none of that, you use your two feet and you leave. You are in control here. You have all the power. No one is making you. You're not five anymore. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the house. And this is what I did say to my dad. I said, hey, we need to leave at two because I have to go to work. I didn't have to go to work till five, but I just didn't want to be there for longer than an hour. Um, and he's like, okay. And he's like, so I'm going to go get, like, I'm going to order food for us. I know you're hungry. And, you know, yeah, like, sure, we'll leave by two. And I was like, okay, you know. And I was still not sure if we were going to leave by two. I was like, do you listen to what I said? So we get there. And the funniest thing happens. So my grandmother's there. And my grandmother, um, she has always been someone who was a larger than life, big voice. And I could understand why my father, um, okay, well, let me just tell you. So we get there, my grandmother comes out, my dad parks behind um, my uncle's truck because there's never parking in the neighborhood on the street. So he parks behind him, my grandmother comes out and starts yelling at him. <laughs> why are you parking behind him? How is he going to get out? Like, you need to go park on the street. And like, she's just, her voice, she's not yelling. It's like her voice is really strong. So I look over at my dad and he instantly turns into this little boy. He's like, becomes frazzled. And he's like, oh, oh like, oh, oh it's because there's no parking. She's like, what are you talking about? There ain't no parking on the street. There's parking on the street. And he's like, all frazzled. And I'm just like watching like an outsider looking at my dad, like basically like looking frazzled, like, like a little kid. Okay. Okay. Like, yeah, I'm going to like, okay. Yeah. Let me just, he, well, you know what? Like I'm going to go pick up the food. So I'll leave Jacqueline here and, and yeah, I'll park on the street. Like, yeah, that's fine. Okay, mom. Okay. And I was like, oh my God, like, wow. Right. Like, isn't it funny that I, turned into a little kid when I felt trapped in the car and my dad when my grandmother started screaming he turned into his little self again too and I was like look at that and so I walk up to my grandmother and I'm like why are you yelling at people we just got here like jokingly like messing with her and she's like instantly you know she softens she's like hi baby oh look at you're still so beautiful I hadn't seen her in like seven years 
she's like you're still so beautiful and like and I'm like well of course hello <laughs> I go I am your granddaughter my grandmother is 80 years old and can I tell you she's still like running shit um and so yeah we go in and my aunt and uncle are there my cousins there's a lot of people and I'm still kind of guarded like What's going to happen? You know, and mind you, my uncles are not the same uncles I grew up with. Um, and so they, you know, oh, how are you? They start showing me pictures of the grown kids. All the kids are grown. And how you been? And then my uncle's very excited about this trip he went to in Mexico. So he's showing me pictures. And I'm like, oh, nice. You know, and of course, I right away revert back to my charming, humorous, you know, self um, because, you know, we all have our things that we use to like mask our vulnerability. I feel very vulnerable because I don't know. I can't predict what's going to happen. Like, I know that nothing's going to happen, right? Nothing violent. They're not the same people, but I don't know how my reaction is going to be because my little girl's still kind of like, okay, what's happening, right? What are we doing? What's happening? Why, you know, like what, what what's the plan? And I'm having to, you know, I don't want to look like out of place and vulnerable. So I'm like joking and, you know, being charming. And and so, yeah, my uncle's showing me pictures and then they get ready to leave because they had a couple of errands. So then it was just me and my grandmother. And, you know, she's talking to me and kind of telling me, yeah, you know, that she had gone back to Mexico, but she really missed the kids out here. And she takes me out to the backyard and shows me like, you know, a couple of things that she's growing and, you know, just talking to me, loving on me. And so my dad, you know, ultimately he returns and we're having conversations here and there. And um, at 1.55, you know, my dad's like, okay, it's, it's time to go. He goes, we got to get ready, right? We got to go. And in that moment, I was like, okay. Like, look at that, 155. And by the way, my dad's very punctual. So, like, <laughs> I was like, okay, he did listen to me. He told him I needed to leave at 2. And he was, like, at 2. And he clocked it very well where he, we were going to, we ate. And, like, right on time, everything just, like, flowed nicely where he was done. He had thrown, you know, whatever was left, cleaned up. And at 155, he's like, okay, well, we're going to head out, you know. Um, and then that was it. But I say, I say all that because, you know, in that moment, I didn't, I didn't realize it, but I really learned to trust myself more. And the little six-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 13-year-old, and even the teenager, I think they all got the sense that they can trust me, that the grown-ass woman in me is gonna send boundaries she's going to use her voice and she's very powerful and she's very courageous because not a lot of people would be doing what I'm doing not a lot of people would give their family the grace um or second chances or and not even their family I think them their self themselves um, and again, I'm, I'm not saying that what I'm doing is right for everyone, right? My family is in a very different place. They're doing the work. My dad is definitely doing the work. He's not the person that he used to be. 
He's not perfect. I'm not perfect. Um, but I get to decide. If ever the relationship is not working for me, I can let it go. And I'm okay with that. If the relationship isn't working with my family and I feel that this isn't for me, that I will let it go. But I'm glad that I'm seeing my my family and my my dad and myself in, I guess, the only word that comes up in the real light of the real human beings that we are, not the expectations that I've had for everyone and myself, that I should know better, that I should do better, that my parents should have known better and they should have done better and that they need to be like this and they need to be like that. My family needs to do this and they need to think like this. And because I had that for a very long time, I had a very high expectation, very judgmental for a lot of people but in particular for myself. And I told myself that I can't trust myself and that I'm not worthy and that I'm not enough for a very long time because I needed to be this, 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 and that and because I wasn't like that, because I wasn't at the level that I should be, whatever that means. But in that moment, in that car, I really helped heal that little 15-year-old. And I let her know that it's okay to go home. <sighs> that she um, that she can stop running away now. Because the reality is that I was that in that time that was needed. But the only thing that I was running away from now was myself. <sighs> Thank you so much for listening.